You're listening to audio from Cities Church. You can find more resources and learn about our ministry by visiting citieschurch.com. This past week, I read an essay uh, written by a man who was given the task of choosing a photo for his mother's obituary. And the man had, had stacks of photos to choose from, but in this essay, he explains that, that what made the process so difficult in choosing this photo was which stage of his mother's life should the photo capture? Should, should it be a youthful photo? Or should it be a, a portrait of her uh, in, in middle age as a seasoned mother? Or, or should it be a photo from her in the last years of her life when she was in the evening of her life? And whichever of these, these photos the man would choose, he wondered, what would that photo be saying about her life as a whole? What, what, what encompasses her life? Like of all these photos, what, what defines her story? What moment defines her story? And... As I was reading the essay, I thought, these are just great questions for us to think about when it comes to our own lives, and they are great questions to think about when it comes to our passage today, because today, in Genesis 46 to 48, we are coming to the end of Jacob's life. And what makes this really fascinating for us is that we've been able to see every stage of Jacob's life going all the way back to when he was conceived. We think back over Genesis, we, we even have Jacob's delivery story. Back in chapter 25, from, from a literary perspective, when we're reading through this narrative, we, we were in the delivery room when Jacob came out. You guys remember he came out holding onto the hill of Esau? So it's like we were there. We saw that we have this in the book of Genesis. We have seen this man's entire life, and I love the way that Jacob talks about his life here in chapter 47. In chapter 47, verse 8, which Tyler just read, verse 8, Pharaoh and Jacob meet, and Pharaoh, the leader of Egypt, he asks Jacob how old he is, and this is the way Jacob answers the question. He says, the days of the years of my sojourning are 130 years. He could have just said 130, right? How old are you, Jacob? He could have said 130, but instead he emphasizes the fact that he has been a sojourner. This man has seen the road. This man is a descendant of men who knew what it meant to journey. He himself knows what it means to journey. And in fact, as Jacob is standing in front of Pharaoh in Genesis 47, Jacob is still on his journey. 130 years still on his journey. And so can we learn something from Jacob? That's the question that I'm asking when we come here to the final chapters of Genesis. What might God teach us through this last stage of Jacob's life? And this morning we have three chapters to work through, which is a lot. And this is the way I want us to do that. The plan is that we're going to look at each chapter. I'm going to give a summary of each chapter. And then I'm going to give a practical lesson that I want us to take away. So it's going to be, first, here's a summary of what's happening in the chapter. And then here's what we can learn 
from this chapter. We're going to do that three times. So the, the, the points are really chapter 46, chapter 47, chapter 48. We're just going to work through all three chapters. Let's pray and we'll get started. Father, it's by your love and in your love that we gather to worship this morning. And as we are gathered now, your word is open before us. And Father, we ask, show us your glory. We ask that you give us more of Jesus. In his name, amen. Okay, first, chapter 46. Here's the summary of what's happening. Chapter 46, Jacob and his family enter into Egypt. Look at chapter 46, verse 1. 46, verse 1, so Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob, and he said, here am I. And then he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt And I will also bring you up again, and Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. And so Jacob, also called Israel, is still on his journey. Just like he did back in chapter 28, Jacob once again packs his bags and leaves the land that God had promised his family. Back in chapter 28, Jacob left Canaan to flee from his brother Esau. And here in chapter 46, Jacob leaves Canaan to reunite with his son Joseph. And by this time, his family has grown. Joseph is no longer the nimble traveler he was back in chapter 28 because now uh, Jacob is an old man and his sons are grown and they have their own families and they have their own possessions and they are all sticking together here. Okay, verse 1 tells us that Jacob leaves Egypt with all that he had. And that's an important point for us. We need to know that Jacob's entire family is making this move. The reason that we have the genealogy here in chapter 46 is because we're supposed to know that everybody is included here. So we have to imagine, we have to kind of picture this in our minds, Jacob heading to Egypt means a whole caravan of people are entering into Egypt. There are 70 people with all of their stuff who are walking in to Egypt. And you guys might remember back in chapter 37, when we started the story of Joseph, we saw that Joseph's story is really the background story for how the Exodus happened. Now, I'm going to say Exodus a lot, and just for a heads up, the word Exodus is the title of the second book of the Bible. Okay, the book's called the book of Exodus, but, but Exodus mainly is an event. Okay, so when I say Exodus, I'm talking about the event, not the book. Although sometimes it's the book, I'll let you know which is which. But the Exodus, the event of the Exodus, was the main event for the nation of Israel when God rescued them from slavery in Egypt. It was the great rescue of Israel that points to an even greater rescue. And we really cannot understand the the, the Old Testament if we don't understand the Exodus. The Exodus is fundamental to the story of Israel. And Genesis 46 is an important part of the Exodus because Genesis 46 describes the first bookend of when Israel entered Egypt. 
And what we're going to see if we continue reading through the book of Exodus is that Israel's entry into Egypt parallels but is transcended by Israel's exit from Egypt. And there are a couple clues in the text that show us this. I just want to point them out for you. Notice first here in 46 how God addresses Jacob. God speaks to Jacob in a vision in verse 2, and he says, Jacob, Jacob. And Jacob says, here am I. And then God tells Jacob that he is leading Jacob and his house into Egypt. God is going with him. This is part of God's plan. And so the people of Israel are called to go into Egypt, just like the people of Israel will be called to come out of Egypt. Because many years later, after Jacob, in Exodus 3, God comes to another man. And this time God says, Moses, Moses. And Moses says, here am I. And God tells Moses, I'm going to lead my people. I've heard the affliction of my people. I'm going to lead my people, Israel, out of their captivity. And just like a whole caravan of people and possessions entered Egypt, an even greater caravan of people and possessions will exit Egypt. Israel will leave Egypt in the book of Exodus In the event of the exodus, the people of Israel will leave Egypt with more people and more possessions than they had when they came in. And that's because God fulfills his promises to Jacob and his family while they are in Egypt. This is where we start to see the lesson. The summary of the chapter here is simple. Jacob and his family enter Egypt. But it gets dicey in the details because we see in verse 3 that Jacob is afraid to enter Egypt. God has to tell Jacob in verse 3, do not be afraid to go down to Egypt. Now, why is that? Why, Why is Jacob afraid to enter Egypt? Well, it's because Egypt has always represented danger to the patriarchs. Going back to Abraham in Genesis 12, Egypt has been this looming threat on the promises of God. God told Isaac very plainly in chapter 26, do not go down to Egypt. And here, now that Jacob is finally back in Canaan, now that Jacob is finally back in the promised land, he ends up leaving all over again, and he goes to Egypt of all places. So for Jacob, we've got to get in his skin. This this is confusing for him. These two things do not make sense. He has the promises of God to bless him and make him a great nation, and, and then he has going to Egypt. They don't line up for for Jacob. Being in Egypt is at odds with the fulfillment of God's promise. And we're actually going to see in chapter 47 that God does bless Jacob in Egypt. By the time we get to the book of Exodus in chapter 1, we're going to see that the people of Israel have been fruitful and increased greatly. They have multiplied and grew exceedingly strong, which means, here's the lesson for us, God will fulfill his promises 
even in the most unlikely places. That's what it means that God blesses Israel in Egypt. In the most unlikely setting against all human odds, in the places where we think God can't, God does. He does it here for Jacob, and he does it in our own lives. Maybe you've been in this place. Maybe, maybe you're in, in that place this morning. You find yourself in a setting that seems to be at odds with what God has promised you because God has said to you, God has said, I will supply all of your needs, Philippians 4, 19. God has said, I, I will not destine you to wrath, 1 Thessalonians 5, 9. God has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, Hebrews 13, 5. And yet, yet you find yourself in this place where your needs abound and harm is set against you. And it seems like God is nowhere in sight. And so it doesn't add up. And in fact, it's confusing. And you wonder in this place where you are, you wonder, God, I don't see it. God, from where I'm standing, from where I'm at, with the stuff that I'm dealing with, with the stuff that's coming at me, I don't see how you're going to do this. I don't see how you're going to fulfill your promises. God, from where I'm standing, you can't. But he will. He will. So brothers and sisters, take heart this morning. God, God fulfills his promises in the most unlikely places. Watch and see. Watch and see. All right, that's chapter 46, chapter 47 now. 47, moving along. The summary is, in chapter 47, Jacob blessed Pharaoh and is blessed by God. Okay, chapter 47 is meant to show us that God is doing what he told Abraham he would do. Back in Genesis 12, God's promise to Abraham, including two sides of blessing. First, God told Abraham that he's going to bless him. He says, I will bless you and make your name great. And then second, God blessed Abraham so that Abraham will be a blessing. God's plan is to bless others through Abraham. So God says, in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So God will bless others through Abraham's family, and God will bless Abraham's family. That's Genesis 12. Now look what's happening here in chapter 47. We've already read uh, verses 7 and 10, but look again at verse 7 for a minute. Look at verse 7. Then Joseph brought in Jacob his father and stood Jacob, 130 years old, stands Jacob before Pharaoh. Look what it says, verse 7. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. Look at verse 10. Verse 10, we see it again. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from the presence of Pharaoh. A little Bible reading tip. When you see something two times in a row, it means it's important. Highlight that, underline that. Verses 7 and 10 are showing us here that the nations, one of the families of the earth, is being blessed through Abraham, just like God told Abraham 
in Genesis 12. And Jacob just doesn't speak the blessing over Pharaoh, but the rest of chapter 47 actually shows us very practically how Pharaoh is blessed through Jacob's family. Basically, because of Joseph's business skills, Pharaoh ends up owning all the land of Egypt. And it happens through the most amazing, ironic twist you can imagine. This is kind of a side note here, but I just want to show you this in chapter 47. The way Pharaoh ends up owning all the land of Egypt is because Joseph buys all the land of Egypt into slavery. Okay. In verse 18, the Egyptians tell Joseph that all their money is spent, and so that's when they give all their land and they give themselves to Pharaoh. And what's fascinating about this is that the word for money in Hebrew is the same word for silver. Okay, so track with me here. Back in Genesis 37, Joseph was sold into slavery in Egypt for 20 pieces of silver. And here in Genesis 46, Joseph buys into slavery the entirety of Egypt for all the silver in the land. This is amazing. What a reversal in this story. Look at verse 20. So Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh, for all the Egyptians sold their fields because the famine was severe on them. The land became Pharaoh's. Pharaoh then becomes more prosperous through Joseph. Pharaoh is blessed through Abraham's family. Look also, though, at verse 27. Verse 27, Thus Israel settled in the land of Egypt, in the land of Goshen, and they gained possessions in it and were fruitful and multiplied greatly. See the same thing in Exodus 1. And so not only are the nations blessed through Abraham's family, but Abraham's family themselves are blessed just like God told Abraham in Genesis 12. Abraham's family, Jacob's family is blessed and the nations are blessed through them. That's the main idea of what's happening in chapter 47. That's the main idea. Okay, that's the summary. But there's more, and I want us to see this in verse 29. Verse 29, although Jacob, although Jacob's family is experiencing God's blessings in Egypt, Jacob still knows that Egypt is not his home. He's not comfy. Okay, verse 29, as Jacob is getting closer to death, he calls Joseph to him, and Jacob tells Joseph, Do not bury me in Egypt, but let me lie with my fathers. Jacob knows that the land of Canaan is his home. That is the land that God promised him. That's where uh, his grandfather Abraham is buried. That's where his dad Isaac is buried. And that's where Jacob himself wants to be buried because he knows that eventually his family is going to be back in this land that God promised. And here's the lesson for us, okay? We have to kind of, again, get in Jacob's skin and think with him for a minute. Okay, here he was, Jacob in the last years of his life, and he has experienced the promises of God. God has been with 130-year-old Jacob. God was making him into 
a great nation. Jacob was able to see God's blessings around him. Jacob was able to see God fulfill his promises around him. And yet still the land piece of God's promise had not yet been fulfilled. And Jacob did not forget that. I think this speaks. It speaks about who Jacob knew God to be. See, I think... If, if we were in Jacob's shoes, having seen all the blessings that God has poured out, if we were in his, his shoes, we might think, well, I'm 130 years old. You know, at least I have two of the three promises fulfilled, right? I need to be okay with two of three. I mean, two, two of three is better than none, right? I don't want to get pushy here. Maybe if you're Jacob, you're, you're thinking, at least I get some of God's promises. Do you, do you think that? Do we think that way? Would you think that way? I think sometimes, I'm afraid that sometimes we can treat the promises of God like we're swinging at a pinata. You guys ever been to a birthday party and seen a pinata? You know what I'm saying? Give me a show of hands so I know a pinata, you know, it's a thing with candy, like a little paper mache horse and you whack at it. You know what I'm talking about? My, the, you, you, you've seen this before. I know you have. My, my kids and I, we love to watch uh, YouTube videos every now and then, funny videos. And the pinata videos are always the most predictable ones, right? You, you blindfold a kid, you give them a bat, it's not going to go well. I mean, every time we know it's going to happen. And so we watch these and we laugh. And if you've been at these, these parties before, you know, you know kind of how it goes. Um, you give the kid the bat, he's blindfolded, and, and if you're a kid, you get a whack at this thing one time, and if you're lucky, you hit it just right, and a few pieces of candy will fall out, and then it's somebody else's turn, and, and you shouldn't complain. You better not whine about it, okay? Don't complain, because a little bit of candy is better than no candy at all, and it's only the really lucky kids, see? It's only the really lucky kids who are able to, to swing hard enough just right and hit the thing where it cracks open and all the candy falls out. Those are the lucky kids, right? If we're honest, I think a lot of times we think about God this way. We treat God like he's a pinata. I'm saying, here we are this morning. Look, we're here. We have this entire book right here. See this book? We have this entire book full of the promises of God. This entire book is written for us for our encouragement, for our endurance in faith. We have this entire book loaded with the promises of God for us. And so many times we come to God blindfolded, just whacking away in the air, just hoping that maybe this time a promise or two might drop out. If we're lucky, if we have enough faith, if we swing just right, if we make contact at the right place, maybe then a promise or two will fall. Jacob didn't do that because Jacob knew God. 
Jacob knew that if God said it, then God meant it, and God meant every bit of it. So Jacob does not settle. 130 years old, he does not settle for two of the three promises. Jacob wants the whole hog because that's what God said, see. That's what God said, and so that is what Jacob wants. God is not a pinata. All the promises of God, we've got to hear this, all the promises of God, all the promises of God are yours, church, in Christ. Every single one. That's chapter 47. Chapter 48. This is the last chapter, last point. This is the summary. Is this. Jacob blesses Ephraim and Manasseh. Okay, chapter 48 is, is, is actually very important when it comes to the storyline of Scripture. But for the rest of our time, uh, I mainly just want to focus on one verse here, one sentence really in verse 21. Let me give you the context first for what's going on. Uh, at this point in chapter 48, we have now skipped ahead 17 years. So 130-year-old Jacob is now 147 years old. And he is sick. And Joseph, his son, finds out about it. And so Joseph goes to see Jacob. And he brings his two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, because he wants Jacob to bless his sons. And Jacob does bless his sons, although it's not the way Joseph wanted. Jacob gives the blessing of the firstborn to the secondborn. Manasseh was the older brother, but instead of Jacob giving him the blessing of the older brother, Jacob gives that blessing to his younger brother Ephraim because that's how God does things. That's what, that's what this means. This just means God, again, we've seen this, we'll see it over and over in Scripture. God does things his way, not the way that we expect according to our worldly values. Our status as individuals, whatever that status might be, does not matter in God's economy. Because with God, all is grace. God's blessing is based solely on his grace, and so the little guy gets it. Ephraim gets the blessing here, and this is important. We see this over and over again in Scripture, but it's verse 21 that stands out here to me. Verse 21. It's a simple sentence from Jacob. It's not part of the formal blessing. It's not flashy in any way. But look at verse 21. Then Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I'm about to die. But God will be with you and will bring you again to the land of your fathers. Jacob is 147 years old. He's about to die. And of all the things that he could tell his son, think about that. He has 147 years worth of material. And of all the things that he could tell his son, what does he say? Oh, we can't help but think about chapter 28, right? We go back to chapter 28, verse 15. That was when Jacob was leaving Canaan for Haran. Jacob was a young man back then, and he was going into exile. And God told him then in chapter 28, Behold, Jacob, I am with you, and I will keep you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land, and I will not leave you until I have done what I promised you. 
then we think, oh, chapter 31. We remember chapter 31. This is 20 years after Jacob started working for Laban. And in chapter 31, verse 3, then the Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. Then in verse 5, Jacob says, the God of my father has been with me. And then there's chapter 35. Of course, we, we remember chapter 35. God tells Jacob there in 35, this is when he changes his name to Israel. He, he tells him in chapter 35 to go to Bethel to worship him. And this is what Jacob says. Jacob says to his family, then let us arise and go to Bethel so that I may make there an altar to the God who answers me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. 25, 31, 35, and then finally here in chapter 48, Jacob is speaking to his son, Joseph. He's talking to Joseph on his deathbed, 147 years of sojourning. His sojourning is almost complete. And what does he say? What does Jacob say to his son? God will be with you. God will be with you, and God will do what he says. And we might think that's it right there, that moment. Joseph, grab a camera and take, take a picture of, of Jacob in this moment, because this moment, the photo right here, this moment, this captures his life. This is the perfect obituary photo. Joseph, take a snapshot here because this is the snapshot that encompasses the life of Joseph, of Jacob. This is the moment, this moment, this is the moment that defines his story. But it's not. It's not. The moment that encompasses Jacob's life. The defining moment of Jacob's life would actually come centuries later, years and years from this moment. The defining moment comes when all the promises of God meet their ultimate fulfillment. And it happened when the God who promised to be with us came to this earth as the God like us. It's the moment when Jesus put on our human flesh and walked through this life in our shoes. Jesus knew what it was like to sojourn. He knew what it was like to suffer, and Jesus loved us to the uttermost, and in his love, Jesus died on the cross for us. He took our sin, and he took our shame, and everything that stood between us and God, Jesus conquered it. He died for us, and then on the third day, he rose from the grave, and that is the defining moment of Jacob's life. Jesus Risen from the dead is the defining moment of Jacob's life. And Christian, it's the defining moment of your life. How do you think about your life? How do you think about it? When it comes to your life, Christian, 
when it comes to what encompasses your life, when it comes to what captures your story, it's when Jesus died for you and was raised from the dead for you. That's the moment. And now, the God who is with us is the God who dwells inside us by his spirit, which means indwelled by the Holy Spirit, we can never be separated from the love of God. And this table every week is a reminder of that. Every week when we come to this table, we are reminded of the defining moment of our story. We're reminded of that moment that encompasses our lives. The bread at this table represents the body of Jesus, and the cup represents the blood of Jesus, and they are for you. The body of Jesus was broken for you. The blood of Jesus was shed for you. So, Christian, this is what defines you. And so this morning, as you receive these elements, let's receive them in thanksgiving. If, if you're here this morning and you trust in Jesus, if, if you are united to Jesus by faith, if your life is hidden in Jesus, we want to invite you to eat and drink with us. We're going to serve the bread first. Uh, just take it and hold on to it. I'll come back up and we're going to eat it all together. The bread is gluten-free. Uh, his body is the true bread. Let us serve you.